Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Fired Up Radio. I am your host, Anthony Hanson. I'm so happy to have you guys here with me today on this Monday morning. Again, we upload every Monday at 7.30 a.m. and every Wednesday at 7.30 a.m. for a warring Wednesday. It's an honor and a privilege to be here and allow you guys to just, for me to be able to speak to you guys, it's always an honor and a pleasure. So with that being said, um, today we are continuing our reading through the book of James, chapter 1. And as I was sitting and just meditating and just, you know, just met, just sitting on it and, and this word today, it just, it made me realize something about us compared to to who God is, because there's nothing more important than understanding who God is and who we are and the role that we play in this life, and it becomes shocking to the point where it almost makes you question, what's the point, and not in a bad way either, it becomes more of a self-reflective moment to where you begin to uh, redistribute your thoughts and the energy that you put into something and how it either becomes beneficial or how it becomes detrimental and toxic in your life. And that's what we're going to be covering today in the book of James, chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. James, chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. All right. Before we start reading, let's pray, and then we'll dive right into the Word of God. Father, we thank you today because you are faithful and true in all that you say and all that you do. For we're sinners in need of a Savior, and you gave of yourself so that we do not, and so that we do not face your wrath and the, the consequences of sin, that being death and hell. But Father, we thank you because of the resurrection and the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ, who gave of himself to to chasm, to, to bridge the chasm between us and you. We thank you, Lord, because you're watchful over us. We thank you because you teach us and you instruct us all the days of our lives as we give you permission over our lives. Hence why you are our Lord. Jesus, we ask of you, we call upon you, the great teacher, the good teacher, to walk us through and to instruct us and teach us what needs to be taught today as we go through the book of James chapter 1. We ask of you, Holy Spirit, to illuminate the words on the pages on what we need to see and hear so that we may become closer and to become greater imitators of the image of God. And we are creating His likeness and His image. We thank you for today. We ask that you bless us. We ask you to watch over us, to dispatch your angels over us, that we do not, that, that, that we're able to go forth with peace and with joy in our hearts. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. So, James chapter 1, verses 19 through 21 reads like this. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. 
Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourself of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. Humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Again, this is James chapter 1, 19 through 21. If you're following in your Bible app and following with the physical Bible, which I highly encourage you to have, because it, it, there's nothing there's nothing greater than having a physical Bible, physical Bible in your hands. It, it, it just does something for me specifically. I don't know what it does for you, but it does really make you feel actually plugged in and like you have something tangible in your hands. Nonetheless, so, as always, there's always there's at least three parts that I want to cover today throughout this passage. The first one being verse 19, where it says, "My brothers and my dear brothers and sisters." In other words, James is starting to become is talking to those who are familiar to him, those who are in the body of Christ, those who consider Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, those who have been discipled by him. And thankfully, that's also us. Why is that us? Because as we read the epistle from James, we are also being discipled and mentored by him. He is one of the fathers of the faith when it comes when it comes to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Why will we read in the opening verse that he is the brother of Jesus? And he continually calls us brothers and sisters because he is also in the faith continually being mentored and discipled by the Holy Spirit, as are we. So with that being said, he, he, comes at the, he comes with this bit of information, with this bit of knowledge and wisdom and revelation through the optics of us being under the same banner of Jesus, being discipled and mentored and guided by the Holy Spirit. So my dear brothers and sisters, understand this. This is where he, when he says understand this, with the colon, that means, hey, pay attention. Look at what I'm about to tell you, because it's something vital when it comes to your walk. It's something vital for you to start acting out on. Okay, that's, this is, that's what he means when he says understand this. Okay, and this is the big point. This is a thesis to this whole section of scripture about these next chunk of verses. It says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Notice he gives three steps. Slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to anger. Why these? Because we cannot understand what's happening if we keep yapping our gums and we can't and we'll always get angry if we don't come to the table with understanding. We also read this throughout the whole book of Proverbs. That even a foolish man looks wise when he when he is quick to listen, when he doesn't talk. Okay? We are to be of the same mindset. If the wicked men and women are able to do the same thing, 
being slow to speak and quick to listen, how much different are we? How much different are we? Really? The only way for us to come to the table with understanding is if we stop and look and listen to what the other person is saying. The one thing that irritates me, and to be transparent in all this, is the fact that there are people in this world that want to fight and to debate and not willing to look at that, look at the fact, excuse me, that there's two sides to every story. There's two sides to every coin. Okay? If you're married, you probably understand this. Okay? The fact that, that you got one person always talking and the other person, that you got two people talking, all of a sudden what happens? There becomes a screaming match. Why is there a screaming match? Because you're trying to increase your volume for your spouse to listen to you to what you've got to say. Instead, what is James telling us to do? Be quick to listen and slow to speak. Because the only way that you can listen if you, is if only you stop talking. See, this is some relational help, some marriage help for every person who is married. And it's to help every person when it comes to their relationships. Okay, the only way that you could ever develop in relationships is if you learn how to communicate. How do you learn how to communicate? Well, first, when somebody's talking, to be frank, shut up. To understand the heart of the person and to not get upset, to not get angry, is to stop talking. We are to listen to the heart of the person. You'll never understand the heart of a person if you don't stop and listen. If you don't stop talking and just listen. Listening is the one tool, the one thing in life that we have completely stopped doing. You may ask, why is that? Because we're always listening to radio, to podcasts, like myself. We're always listening to YouTube. We're always listening and watching YouTube videos and videos on Facebook. We're always listening to everything else except to what's important. That is the person that we're standing shoulder to shoulder with. That being our kids. That being our spouses. That being family. That being our coworkers and our bosses. That being the instructions that are being given to us so we can carry out the tasks of the day. When it comes to the work that we, that when it comes to the job that we work at. And yet we wonder why the boss always gets upset. Yet we always wonder why the wife or the husband is always fritzing out and is always panicking whenever we're given, whenever we are given a task to take care of something. Why? Because we are not listening. We may hear what they're saying. But we're not listening. I did, I found out that there's a distinguishment whenever we say we hear what you're saying versus what we're listening to what you to what you're saying. How is there a distinguishment? Well, if you're married, you understand this because whenever some whenever your spouse, specifically a wife to a husband, 
whenever the wife begins to speak to the husband, he always says, what? Yeah, honey, I hear you. When yet his attention is on the ball game, when yet his attention is on a sports center or some, or some sort of woodworking show or a movie or something that is completely and not utterly in, in, in direct alignment to when his wife is talking to him. How do I know this? Because I too suffer with the same issue because I am also a husband, a husband that's been married for almost seven years to this date, okay, and also, I got four kids, so my attention is never fully on my wife, my attention is never fully on my, on my kids, why, because sometimes I need a mental break, yet at the same time, the very time when my wife is talking to me, I know I need to be silent, I know I need to give her my undivided attention and actually listen because when you listen you're grabbing on the details you're grabbing on the details that's the key thing when you're listening you're listening for the details not just hearing the broad strokes of the complaint or what's needed to be done that's not it okay to listen is to grab the details and to act upon those details. Okay, that's the difference. Now, we covered quick to listen and slow to speak. How about anger? James tells us to be slow to anger. Why is that? Well, God is slow to anger, number one. Okay? Mind you, God was slow to anger with the people of the world his creation, and so they did something that stirred up his anger. What was that? Well, Genesis, in the book of Genesis, we read about the Tower of Babel. How about with the Israelites? God has could have, God could have wiped out the Israelites a long time ago, especially because why? Because they kept complaining in the wilderness about how there was no food to eat, about how there was no water to drink. And if there was, it wasn't drinkable. Or how about the fact that they kept complaining to Moses about how they were wandering in the desert for 40 years after being stuck in Egypt for 400. God deliberately took them the long way around. The people of Israel kept bringing false idols into their house. They kept doing unholy and ungodly things. Okay, they brought disease upon their upon themselves. What did God do? Well, He let out His wrath a few times. Actually, that be it, albeit His judgment upon the nation of Israel. Because what was God doing? He was weeding out. He was taking out those who are going to spoil, in the bad sense, in the negative sense. He was going to spoil. They were going to spoil the nation of Israel. They were going to allow, God was not allow, was not about to allow witchcraft and, and, and rebellion and sickness and disease and infirmity upon the land. He wasn't about to keep it. He was not about to keep anything that was against him. All the idolatry, all the thievery, all the 
all the grumbling. Anything that was not of him, he was set, he's released his judgment on it. How, you may ask? Well, some people got sick and died. Some people were carried out outside of the camp and stoned to death. There was another instance where God opened up the land and swallowed up the people. Yet, what was the one thing that he kept telling Moses at Mount Horeb? That he wanted to strike them and eliminate them. But Moses got God to change his mind. How? By reminding him of his promise and his will for the nation of Israel. That's how Moses got God to change his mind and to and to slow God's anger, to slow God's wrath upon the nation of Israel. Okay? So we, in a manner, are to also do the same thing. But yet, but yet James brings up a, 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 a contingency point in regards to our anger. What's that? Well, we read in verse 20. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. And this is where I want to camp out. Okay? For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Now, I find that particularly interesting because we always hear about us having righteous anger. Please tell me how we have righteous anger. I actually used to believe in the fact that we had righteous anger. I used to pray against unrighteous anger. When yet anger in and of itself, when we act upon it, is not righteous at all. No matter how you feel, no matter what has happened, no matter what you're going through, our anger is not righteous by any means. How is that? Well, we are sinners in need of a Savior. You know, we, we, Paul tells us to not let the sun go down in our anger, to not sin in our anger. What does that actually mean? Well, Paul and James here are coming together in this, in, in, when it comes to talking about our anger and revealing the fact that our anger can be and will be destructive. It can destroy things. It can eliminate things. It can actually destroy relationships. It can destroy our our workplace. It, our anger can present a toxic environment. So what is our anger actually doing? Well, one thing that I heard, and actually while I was reading, because I have a book called Overcoming Emotions That Destroy. It's a book by Dr. Chip Ingram. It's a very good book. It's a, it's a nice self-help book, but yet it's based on the biblical foundations. Of, it's based on biblical foundations. This being one of the, of the verses, okay? For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. And what Dr. Chip Ingram basically encompasses and, and highlights is the fact that our anger is essentially a check engine light or a warning light on your dashboard of your car that is signifying that there is a greater issue. Specifically, the check engine light or the oil pressure light. Our car is not going to run right if we still have these warning lights on our dashboards. Period. Okay. If you see the oil, if you see the oil light on your car, guess what? 
You either need to add more oil to your engine or quarter two of oil to your engine, or you need an oil change. If you have a check engine light, guess what? There's a deeper issue. That being a computer chip may be bad. A sensor may be bad. Or gaskets need to be replaced. A sensor needs to be replaced. A check engine light is one of the more confusing lights because anything and everything can be wrong with your car. So what do you do? You take it to a mechanic who has a scan tool or you go to AutoZone or O'Reilly's, or Advanced Auto Parts. Guess what they have? A scan tool for you to use to go ahead and run on your car, so that way they can take it back to the computer and pop up all the codes that are that are going wrong, that are attributed to that check engine light. And what will they do? They will give you not only the code that reads on the computer, from the scanner that that tells you what's wrong with your car, but it will also tell you the problem that it has and the parts that are usually replaced in order to remedy and to fix the situation. Okay? This is what anger is for us. Anger for us is the check engine light. It's telling us what is wrong with us, what is going on on the inside of us, and that we need to fix it. A lot of times, our anger is the emotion that is exposed when we're triggered. Okay, In today's 21st century, in the year 2021, we like to use the word trigger. Okay, Why is that? Because all of a sudden, something happens to our word to where we're easily angered and bothered, or in other words, triggered. Alright? James here is telling us that our anger will not accomplish any good thing. If anything, it, it, it only feeds into the toxic environment. If anything, it actually destroys our relationships. It contradicts the very thing that we're supposed to be doing. That is building relationships. That is talking things through and being able to restore the relationship, to reconcile relationships, or it's to help us identify who is with us versus who's against us. It's to, it's to help us identify who's fighting for us versus who's fighting with us. There's that difference. Okay. That, and that that's that's the heart of where I wanted to get at today. No one has righteous anger. Because Paul tells us that no man no one is good, no not one. No man is righteous, no not one. Okay. Why? Because we are not perfect. If Paul is telling us, do not sin in your anger, that's telling me that, guess what? We are easily susceptible to sin in our anger. That our anger does not accomplish what we think it's going to accomplish. With our anger, we're going to likely murder or kill someone because they did something to our family. A.K.A. Liam Liam Neeson movies, the Taken series, hello... He kills people. 
Rambo. For all my good friends here that are that were born in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, Rambo. What happened? Rambo got angry. Guess what he did? It was him versus a whole county. All because the cop didn't like how Rambo looked and wanted him to get out of Dodge. Guess what? Rambo got angry. Rambo started shooting up the town and was at war with people. For what? Just because the sheriff wanted him out of town because he didn't like who he was? Which, quite frankly, I think the sheriff deserved to get shot. Well, that's another story for another day. Because, to be honest, you don't badmouth veterans. You don't go ahead and try to kick someone out just because you don't like what the, you don't like how they look. You know what? You deserve to go ahead and get slapped upside the head. But that, but, but again, this only proves the fact that anger does not solve anything. If anything, it breeds violence. If anything, it breeds destruction and wreaks havoc over our lives and, and just begins to destroy everything around us. Okay? So with that being said, yeah. Anger? No, no. If anything, we should be looking at it as as a as a check engine light indicator on our dashboard to ourselves realizing, alright, let's stop everything. Let's hit the pause button on the VCR or on the remote. And let's rewind and see what took place to where it got me tricked, to where I got triggered, to where I got angry. Okay? When we isolate that part, what stirred up this emotion of anger? What happened before and has this happened before to where all of a sudden I got angry? I'll tell you right now, for me personally, I've gotten triggered by my wife. Honestly, I've gotten triggered by my wife. Why? Because she's done things to me that reminded me of my mom. You may be asked, how does your mom, how does what your wife did, done to you, that is equivalent to what your mom has done to you, that triggered you? Well, let me tell you. My life has been no walk in the park either. Let's, let me honestly admit that. My life has been no walk in the park. How so? Well, I've been the witness of three divorces. One by my mom, or one by one that happened between my mom and my dad, and two others by my mom. Now, you may be saying, well, 50% of marriages have all ended in divorce, so what makes you so special? It doesn't. It doesn't make me special at all. Yet, what people fail to understand, especially husbands and wives, okay, especially fathers and mothers who do go through divorce, and I'm not knocking divorce. Why? Because there are actual times where divorce is permissible, and you will read this throughout Scripture, especially when it comes to when when it comes to uh. uh a husband, and spouse, a husband and wife being unequally yoked spiritually, and there's actual cataclysmic differences that actually cause harm within the home, guess what? Divorce, completely okay. If there's abuse taking place in the home, 
whether the husband is dishing it out or the wife is dishing, dishing it out, guess what? Divorce is okay. If there's adultery taking place in the home, guess what? Divorce is permissible. But to divorce just to divorce, guess what? You're dumb because you just put yourself in a situation that you thought was going to make everything okay. When in reality, marriage only began to highlight the issues that the other person has been dealing with their whole lives. How do I know this? Well, guess what? One day, and I'll be honest, I've never been the perfect husband. I don't claim to be. And especially in the first three years of my marriage with my wife, this actually happened the first year. I was no saint. I was actually the abusive husband. I was. Whenever I tried to get my wife to sit down and talk, she would run away. And we're actually learning now the difference of communications through a book called Vertical Marriage by David Ann Wilson. Awesome book. I recommend you pick that one up as well as Overcoming Emotions That Destroy by Dr. Chip Ingram. Nonetheless, my wife is the kind of person who doesn't tackle um, issues and situations head on. She's not that kind of person. She's not that kind of person. Now sit down and talk things through. She's willing to, but at her own pace and when she's ready. When she's ready, she'll, she'll open up and she'll talk about it. Okay? This is how I now know who she is and how to talk with her. And now I know how to be more patient with her. Does it, steer, does it still irritate me? Yes. But by God's grace, I've learned to be patient. I've learned to be still with her. I've learned to just love on her through the process of her being ready to open up. But nonetheless, that's the kind of husband I was. I'd lock her into a room. There'd be times where we'd fight because I've locked her in the room with me to talk things through. Even though there was no point in locking her in the room with me. Why? Because it was just her and I in the same house. See, I was dumb in my first year of marriage. Really was. Dumb, stupid, all bronze, no brain, you know, that kind of thing. Nonetheless, it really wreaked havoc in my marriage. And it actually destroyed my wife and her studies because she was going to Moody. And, <clears throat> sorry. And she began talking with one of her professors because her, one of her professors called her and wanted to talk to her about her work and what was going on, making sure everything was okay. And he pretty much told her this. Marriage is like a coldering pot for gold. It will not only liquefy the gold, but it will also bring the impurities of a person. It will bring the impurities straight to the top. And to purify gold, you have to take this tool to scoop out the impurities and to put it off to the side. And you keep this process going until the gold is completely pure. It's the same thing with marriage. Marriage is a cauldron pot. 
it will put you through the process of purification and make you realize things that you never knew were there. Okay. My wife, before we got married, and while we were, and we still are married, but the first three and a half years, she always told me to go get anger management. Because when we got engaged, she saw my anger. When we got married, my anger did not get any better. Marriage does not fix issues. Marriage does not fix your boyfriend. Marriage does not fix your your girlfriend. Marriage does not make a situation better. If anything, it highlights the situation and really forces you to think, is the issue really a her? Is the issue really him? Or is the issue really me? And how do we know what the issue is? Well, through anger. Anger is that check light, check engine light. Anger is really the warning light. So whenever my wife has done something to me, it's because something that's happened in my past in previous relationships or was taking place in my family before, before my wife, that has triggered me. And only tells me that there's still some unforgiveness that I still need to deal with. Because we cannot fully love someone if we still have unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment and anger towards that person. So I have continually been in the process for the past, I don't know, since I was the age of 13, because that's when my parents got divorced, okay? That I've had some bitterness, that I've had some unforgiveness, that I've had some resentment, and that I've had some anger towards my mom. Now, I will be happy to say that my relationship with my mom has completely and drastically changed in how I deal with my mother. I have learned to love her more. I have learned to be quick to forgive, to be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to anger towards my mom. Is there some things that that she does that irritate me? Of course. Guess why? Because we're not perfect, and I don't expect her to be perfect. Now, are my expectations there for my mom? Yes. But I also got to understand that she is a person of a fallen nature. Guess what? She's not here to please me. Why? Because she is a person who is in need of pleasing of herself in her own ways. So guess what? I can't expect her to please me because she's not my God. She's not. She's not my God. She's not my Lord and my Savior. If anything, the only person I need to please is God. And I can't please God through my anger. I can't. I can express my anger to God and say, hey, Lord, this is what's hurting me right now. And this is what's hurting a lot of people. And it's really stirring up some anger and some frustration and some really some real pain and hurt within our community, within our family, within our nation, within the world. And we need and I come on behalf of everybody and ask of you and plead with you to step in. And to do something about it. That's communicating my anger. Okay. Now, after being done with the heart of this path, with, with the heart of what the meat and potatoes, what I wanted to get through. Now is the latter part, verses twenty-one. Reading, therefore, 
ridding yourself of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. Okay? And how do we do that? By humbly receiving the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. Or, let's change it up a little bit. Not just save, not just is able to save your soul, but is able to change your mind. That is able to transform you. Romans 12, 1 and 2. My dear brothers and sisters, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Or how about this? Ephesians 5, 25-31. Paul tells us through marriage, when, when he gives us the overarching consensus of love and respect and how a husband and wife is to love and respect one another, a husband is to wash his wife with words of encouragement. What's the word of encouragement? Well, for one thing, being the Bible. How is the Bible encouraging? Well, the Bible tells us who we are in Christ. Second Corinthians 5.17 for the old has passed away, behold, the new has come, for we are made new in Christ Jesus. Guess what? We're made new through Christ Jesus because He is the Word. For the Word was God, the Word was, for the Word was God, the Word was with God, for the Word became flesh. You see what I'm getting at here? The only way we could ever overcome moral filth and, and immoral thinking and perverse thinking and perverse actions and immoral actions is by first changing the way that we think, by first changing the internal processor that is our brain. And when we begin to and when we begin to change up what we have in our brain, we begin to change in the way that we act. And when we begin to change the way that we act, we begin to change the way that we handle various various situations, albeit family, work, or friends. It all starts with how we think. A lot of people underestimate the power of God's Word. The power of God's Word, number one, is the fact that God's Word is inerrant. It has no errors. There is no fault in God's word. There isn't. Yet many people want to point out the fact that the same same Bible mirrors the writings of the Mesopotamian era in the Mesopotamian era era in African proverbs and this, that, and the other. Okay, cool. You don't think God's word can't be translated or be spread? throughout the world? Number one. Number two, we're still finding bits of God's word as, as form of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Okay? There's more and more transcripts and bits of the transcripts so we're able to better translate the Bible to where it becomes more and more accurate in its writings. Okay? God used man to proclaim his word, to share his word, to speak his word. So in that way, 
we are all able to receive it. Okay, therefore, ridding yourself of all moral filth. How do we rid ourselves? By allowing God to bring us through the transformation that we so desperately need so that we can be the light of this world versus contributing to the darkness of this world. Because moral filth speaks of darkness. Moral filth speaks of a chasm between holiness and wickedness, evil. Moral filth speaks of evil, speaks of perverseness. This is what moral filth speaks of. And the evil that is so prevalent, guess what? A lot of people wonder why there's so much evil in this world and where God is at in all of this. God will not force himself where he is not wanted, nor is he, nor where he is, where he's not invited. Have you ever been to a party that you haven't been invited to? Not only do people start murmuring and talking, but somebody will gladly come up to you and ask you, why are you here? Were you invited? Do you know somebody that we don't? Like, who, who, who let you in? Guess what? God knows not to insert himself where he's not wanted. God knows not to insert himself where he's not invited. It's one of the reasons why we read in Revelation chapter 3 that he stands at the door of our heart and knocks. Why? Because he's not a person who will just barge right in. He'll go ahead and disrupt some things so you can finally wake up and smell the coffee and see who he is and what he wants to do for your life. But he's not going to force himself. He's not. The only way that we can ever be transformed by God and by the gospel of Jesus Christ and through the movement of His Spirit, is when we stop everything. And we come to Him and say, God, I cannot do this on my own. I need your help. I need you to work in me and through me and for me. Please, I need you now. And I don't want you to just be around me just because I'm desperate for help. But I need you to deal with my life as a whole. I give you full permission and full reign over my life. I am a sinner who is in need of a Savior. And you've provided that Savior, albeit your Son, Jesus Christ, who lived, died on the cross, was put in a grave, and on the third day, rose from the grave, conquering Satan, sin, hell, 
death and your wrath. And is now seated at your right hand. For I accept your son Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I stand under the banner of Jesus Christ. Wash me. Make me whole. Make me new. For I want to be transformed. By my mind. I want my mind to be transformed. I want my words to be transformed. I want my heart to be transformed. And I need my actions to be transformed. I cannot do it on my own. But by the power of your Holy Spirit. I am able. To live. A new life. In Jesus name. Amen. And amen. See when we come to the point of humbling ourselves. Things begin to shift. Things begin to change. Because we begin to realize that it's not by our might nor by our power. But by, but by the Spirit of God that resides within us. That things are able to shift and change for the better. That things, are, that things begin to happen in the manner in which we want them to have them happen. So I encourage you today. If you haven't prayed the prayer... That allows Jesus, that grants Jesus and God the Father and the Holy Spirit. If you haven't given them permission to operate in your life daily, do it. It's to be a daily confession, a daily prayer. That is to bring out, that is to birth a spirit of humility within you. Because God will not move where humility does not reside. When we discount his word, discount his presence, and discount prayer, we are not humble servants of Christ. Instead, we're prideful. And we think that we're better than God. So I encourage you today. To be mindful of whenever you get angry. Slow to speak. Quick to listen. And to give God the permission to continually transform you from the inside out. With a humble heart and a submissive spirit. So in that way, you become perfect. As your Father in Heaven is perfect. So you become holy. As your Father in Heaven is holy. With that being said. I want to thank you guys. For joining me today. On this episode. Of Fired Up Radio. Right here. At 7.30am. Monday morning. Or whenever you choose to turn this on. And to just listen. To what God has in store for you today. I encourage you guys to like this to like this episode, to share this episode to friends, family, neighbors, whoever it may be. 
Because who knows? Or maybe even one of your church family. You may find it detriment. You might find this impactful, and it needs to be shared. Because any good thing that you keep for yourself is you being selfish. God has not called you to be selfish, but to be givers, but to share what He's blessed you with. I'm sharing this with you because He's been blessing me throughout the Book of James. I don't want to keep this for myself. Heck, if anything, I might go back and listen to this. Because I need to hear what God has told me. And I may have forgotten. I encourage you. Share this episode. And any other episode that you may have listened to, listened to that I've recorded previously. And allow God's word to just wash over you. May the teaching build you up and encourage you. And correct you in the right way. With that being said, thanks again for tuning in. And this episode of Fired Up Radio, this episode is called The Check Engine Light. The Check Engine Light. Alright? Stay tuned for Wednesday. Keep an eye out. 7.30 a.m. Warring Wednesday. Can't wait for you guys to join, join me in that episode. It's going to be something impactful. It's going to be powerful. We're going to be praying for deliverance, for healing, for this nation, and for us as a family. And for us as individuals. Because one thing's for certain. If two or more come together in agreement. He's in the midst. When we call upon the name of the Lord. We shall be saved. For he makes intercession for us. With moans and groans. With words that cannot be uttered. He is our great intercessor. Alright. I love you guys. Be blessed. Have a great day. Walk in victory. Love you much. See you Wednesday. Bye.